Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Job's wild ride through the crucible of suffering was coming to an end. The devil was nearing defeat. The Lord was receiving glory, and Job was changing. Now, I knew the first two things would happen. Satan would lose, and God would win. But what I did not expect was all the Lord wanted to do with my friend, Job. I didn't even know that he had a problem. He seemed to be a good man going about doing good. After Satan turned his world upside down, he refused to sin or charge God with any wrongdoing, as we read in 122. I suppose I didn't understand how to discern a person's faith, and that is something that I want to talk about. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to call this you know your faith is real when Now, isn't that a good question for us to think about? How do you know that your faith is real? I mean, is your friend a Christian? Are you a Christian? How do you know? Well, God knows. And there are ways that we can discern a person's faith, the genuineness of their faith. And so I want to talk about that for just a little bit. Hello, everybody. This is Rick Thomas. It's lifeovercoffee.com. That's our street address. And so if you want to go to our coffee shop, just please head over to lifeovercoffee.com. We have thousands of resources on all things pertaining to life and godliness. You will not be disappointed. Every week someone is writing in and they're talking about what God has done in their life through this ministry. And I'm just so grateful for that. And so if you haven't been to our coffee shop, please jump over there. But for now, I want to talk about, you know, your faith is real when just leave it to the Lord to go deeper than what the human eye can see and what the mind can discern. God always goes farther than anyone else. God always does more than we expect. You remember what Isaiah said in 55, 8, and 9, that God's mind and our mind are on two different planes. It's a good thing when God peers into our thoughts and our intentions, what's going on in our heart, albeit sometimes it can be painful when he does that kind of of peering. We all know of his ability to pierce the darkness, which is why it strikes fear in sober souls. It's okay if it leaves you a little bit fearful and in trepidation. Think about those early days after God regenerated you and the long path that you have been on since that time. If it has been for any length of time, it did not go as you expected. The double gift of salvation and suffering is complex for mere mortals. You remember what Paul said in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. That is that double gift. In those early days of salvation, God regenerates us. We are on the path of righteousness. He is restoring our souls Well, guess what? There have been many toils, many dangers, and many snares, and you know that all too well. Of course, there has been amazing grace, too. What we anticipate Him to do is not always what He does. 
What we do not conceive as a possibility, he brings to fruition. Our faith is being tested. And though it was assumed that he would win the bet with the devil, that God would win the bet with the devil in the book of Job, I did not expect an even more radical and profound transformation of our righteous friend Job. If the extent of the story was about a wager in chapter 1, then there was nothing more to write after that first chapter. Job was laid low by the Lord. He responded with humility and praise. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Game over. The devil lost. What Satan said would happen, did not happen. But God knew more than the devil. God knew more than Job. God knew more than the rest of us. The good Lord is a multitasker. He can shake on a bet with old smutty face, the devil, and use that bargain to work something deeper in Job's life that goes beyond chapter 1 even stretching that work to our day, that deeper work that that God did in Job's heart. Well, here we are talking about it thousands of years later. I've written a book on it, Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. Yeah, God is a multitasker. He, he can challenge Job. He can defeat the devil. He can transform our lives through that story. I can write a book about it, and here I am doing a video, a podcast, sharing an article with you, all from that old story, that one event in that man's life. Do not overlook this. Whatever God is doing in your life, it can have a generational impact on many lives. The story of Job was not just, <clears throat> excuse me, the story of Job was not just between the Lord and Satan. The Lord loved Job, and he wanted him to have a broader faith experience than sacrificing daily for his children. Being a good man was not good enough. Do you remember what David said when he thought about these things, like sacrificing? He said this in Psalm 51, You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. There was something amiss in Job's heart. Yeah, he was a good man and he was sacrificing, but God wanted something besides our burnt offerings. And so the Lord would adjust Job's heart, even using Satan to bring it about. Well, we see it now. We're looking in the rearview mirror. I mean, just before the final curtain fell in Job chapter 42, we learn why. The Lord needed to do one more piece of work for our old friend. The time to put up or shut up had come. Job claimed that he had changed in Job 42.5. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. He testified that he was of small account. But the reality of his testimony, those were just words. The reality of his testimony, validating his faith, it needed a practical exam. 
You see, we can say that we believe in God and praise God for that testimony. But what about if we validate it? What about if the Lord gives you a practical exam to authenticate your faith? That's why I titled this, You Know Your Faith is Real When when you take this practical exam. After four years of crawling through the dirt with Job, that was me, that was my story, I too felt like that I had changed. I had heard about God through the rigor of Bible college. That's where I was at that time in 1988. But as God ushered me into the crucible of suffering, I was beginning to see him differently. God was changing me. He was authenticating my faith. Before God radically and terribly imposed himself upon me, I lived a decent, knowledgeable Christian life. Then without warning, I was crushed beyond my worst fears. I crumbled and I grumbled, eventually giving up on God. Mercifully, God would not give up on me. God is a persevering God, especially when his children are not. He loved me through thick and thin, allowing the suffering to continue until it changed me. The Lord slowly and carefully whittled me down to size. He even tolerated my manipulative praying as I tried to budge him to make him change his mind. Toward the end of this horrible experience, I finally repented. I, like Job, have heard of the Lord through the hearing of the ear, but now I could perceive him in a new and transforming way. I was changed. But there was one more thing to do. Was the Lord's internal heart work really complete? Or was I going back to my old habit of trying to manipulate God to convince him that I have changed by using words that communicated such? Had I been truly and effectually transformed? There was only one way to tell. I needed a road test. I needed to road test my supposed transformation. If someone comes to you and they ask you for forgiveness for some sin that they have committed against you, please, yeah, transact that forgiveness. But have they changed? I don't know yet. There needs to be a road test. There needs to be an authentication of of the interaction that you have just had with them. Now, I'm not asking you to be cynical or suspicious of someone, but faith without works is dead, and so there has to be some kind of observation, manifestation of works to be able to authenticate what the person is saying. Enduring through a horrible circumstance is good, but the most authentic assessment of the Lord's work is how we respond to life's challenges after the supposed change. It's not good enough to say he endured through the suffering. Has he changed because of the suffering? And so the test that the Lord gave me, it was straightforward. It came in the form of a few questions that he proposed. And the design of his query to me was to reveal my practical awareness of the gospel and my willingness to live it out before him and others. He asked me two specific questions. 
The first question focused on my heart. The second question focused on the natural outworking of my heart. And so the first question, the heart question, was about my willingness to forgive those who had sinned against me. And I've shared my story many times. I will not go into the details here, but it's all over our uh, website. It's throughout our coffee shop at lifeovercoffee.com, and I'm glad to share it uh, at any point. But I have. And so as I was going through the breakup of my family, there were some there were some people who did some super unkind things. And God sent me in the crucible of suffering. And then I believe that through that crucible that I had transformed. But those were just words. And so God said, hey, let's field test this transformation. Let's authenticate this change that you say has happened to you. And so he asked me two questions. The heart question, the heart question was, are you willing to forgive those who had sinned against you? And then the outward-facing question was my cooperation with the Lord to serve those who purposely hurt me. Those were the two questions that I had to come to terms with. In Job 42.10, God said it this way to Job, authenticating his faith. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. You see, the turning of his captivity didn't happen in 42.5 when he said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, and now my eye sees you. Wherefore, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. That is great. We want to repent. We want to change. But let's authenticate that. Is that really real? In verse number 10, it says he restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. There was heart transformation, and then there was an outward-facing authentication of that when Job was able to pray for the people who had hurt him. It was a straightforward test. Would he pray for those who did not bring their best care to him? It's not a stretch goal to love those who do good things for you. But loving those who persecute you authenticates your religion as nothing else will. The most accurate test of a person's faith is when the Christian can demonstrate the love of God toward the person who has sinned against him. This kind of demonstration is an authentic replication of the gospel. Christ becoming a man to die for those who sinned against him. You can imagine why some folks walked away from the Savior after hearing how wrong it was for them to live a victim mindset. It's easier to love ourselves even if it means further enslavement into victimization. Think about, this is how Jesus said it in Luke 6. These are some of the hardest words that you'll ever hear. Quote, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. What benefit is that to you if you love those who love you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But love your enemies. 
and do good, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. God's Word is amazing. It's archaic and past its prime for so many people. But as you ponder that passage that you just heard about loving your enemies, the perceptive person recognizes its relevance today, all these years after Jesus said those words. Job knew what he had to do. He had to reject his formerly embraced victimization while donning a new person that resembled Christ. And he passed the test, and his reward was great. God blessed him. He turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. The narrative flipped. It was a new day for our old friend. I recall reading how God turned Job's captivity, and it convicted me. I had to do what he did you know your faith is real when you go on this kind of field test. The Lord blessed me with an absurd amount of personal suffering, and he called me to steward it biblically. He asked me to prove to him that I had learned to walk in his son's steps. Like an unending game of monopoly, I knew that if I would not humble myself and forgive those who hurt me, at least forgive them in my heart, and attempt to serve them if that would be possible, if they would let me, if I did not get to that place, then my captivity would continue. God would not turn the captivity of Rick. Have you learned the lesson of Job? Can you love the person who annoys you? These are self-assessment questions that not only point you in the right direction, but, but can set any captive soul free. And your answers will reveal to what degree the gospel has affected and changed you. The call to love the unlovable is more than a biblical truth we should affirm. It is the gospel. The King James Bible says the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Job was in captivity. His world had fallen apart and his soul was torn asunder. The purpose of this divine inspired human rigmarole was to change Job. To not change is to choose unending captivity. Are you aware of how ongoing bitterness, ongoing anger, ongoing unforgiveness towards someone will prolong your captivity? You may be a victim, but bitterness and anger and unforgiveness makes you a culprit and it incarcerates you. God never intended us to be sin bearers. We are not containers who can carry sin. We're not built that way. He gave us the gospel so that we could cast our burdens on Christ. Whether those burdens are things that we created or things that have been leveled onto us. Do you know how a bad attitude toward any person who has hurt you, no matter how legit the hurt was, 
will push you deeper into captivity. If you carry that bad attitude, even though you are a victim, the Lord wanted to release Job from his captivity, but it was up to Job to experience that release. God will set the table. He will prepare a table for you, but we have to decide whether to pull up a chair to enjoy what he has prepared. The possibility of emancipation after such an arduous journey is stunning news. You can be free. After all of this, Job, you can be free. And so now let's see if Job will turn the key to experience the emancipation that he has been looking forward to for 42 chapters. Well, you know the story. He did. He prayed for his friends, and he was set free. And I finally learned the lesson, too. My incarceration ended after I repented of my self-righteous anger toward those who hurt me while seeking their forgiveness, too. My freedom was not in their hands. I was not a victim of my circumstances. I was a victim of the anger and the self-righteousness that I carried in my heart. Paul said in Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The authentication of our Christian maturity is not how we cope with our problems, but how we love and serve others, particularly those who have hurt us. I said something like this earlier, that it's not just about enduring, getting through, the problem, but being transformed as God works in your heart as you're going through the problem. And so our maturity is not about coping, but it's about coming out the other end, loving God and loving others more than ourselves, particularly those people who have hurt us. Now, some could wrongly surmise Job had transformed because he had been through the grist mill with God and it come out the other end, seeing God differently. Now my eye sees you. Enduring suffering and loving God is not the best assessment of a Christian's maturity. The comprehensiveness of Job's total makeover would be determined by how he responded to the Lord's request to love others more than himself. Will he practicalize the royal law? The power of the gospel is useless if we don't effectually apply it to those who need it, especially those who have hurt us. Job's friends hurt him. And as you read their dialogue, your heart aches for him too. Much of what they said made them careless and unkind counselors. The relational tension between them is what makes the Lord's request for Job to pray for them all the more powerful, purposeful, and practical. It was showtime, and Job had an immediate opportunity to put his newly reframed theology to practice, and he did not disappoint. He prayed for his friends. Job humbly and obediently went from being a disputing Christian to an interceding Christian. 
This transition from incarcerated by self-righteousness to being freed through genuine humility happened when Job prayed for his friends, which brings us to that word, when. The word when, W-H-E-N, it's an element of time. I will get you something when. We will go on vacation when. We will pay the house off when. When speaks to an element of time. You can pray for change until you're blue in the face. You can talk about all the Lord, all that the Lord has done for you until the cows come home. You can return from your latest Bible study with three new golden nuggets in your, in your Bible bag, and, and all of that is fantastic. You can affirm the many principles of the Bible to all those within earshot, but the proof is in the pudding. It is only when you act upon what you know that you will experience the liberating power of the gospel. In the Broadway musical, My Fair Lady, the character, Eliza Doolittle, she likes this dude, and this dude will not pop the question. And so Eliza, who did not really have a social filter, she was stewing in agitation because her potential beau takes his sweet time in showing his affection for her. He was doing more talking than doing. And at the end of her wits, she finally blurted out this, Words, words, words. I am so sick of words. I get words all day through, first from him, now from you. Is that all you blighters can do? Don't talk of stars burning above. If you're in love, show me. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was a little more direct, even though Eliza, the sharp-tongued Eliza Doolittle, was pretty direct herself. But James said it this way, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It will not do to merely give intellectual affirmation to what you know you need to do. As Eliza Doolittle says, Show me. As James says, faith without works is dead. You will not benefit from the blessings of the Lord if you are holding unresolved conflict in your relationships. Now, this hard truth makes when, when he prayed for his friends, that is a big word. It cannot be faked. It cannot be manipulated. It cannot be contrived. God knows every thought and intention of our hearts. And so I had to ask myself if I could freely pray for and actively serve those who hurt me. Now, I am not suggesting those who hurt me would let me serve them because that was not the case in every case, but when it's appropriate. I mean, the big question is, am I willing to cross all necessary barriers to be Jesus for them? That is really the question. The question is not theoretical. It is practical. It's striking at the heart of understanding and applying the gospel. If we cannot forgive or if we persist in holding resentment, anger, hostility toward others, we will marginalize our religion, assuming that we are Christians at all. 
The point of Job's journey and the accusation of the devil was whether or not he would prove his faith. Would he love God regardless of his circumstances? The devil not, did not believe his faith was legit. He assumed that the good things that he had received from the Lord produced the strength to support his religion. His religion was supported and buoyed by the blessings that flowed up from God. What if we turn Satan's questions onto ourselves? To what degree is our faith governed by what we get from the Lord? Suppose we lost a few precious items. Would we bless the Lord regardless? It would be worth our time to reflect on these heart-probing thoughts. When it was time to show me... I failed because I was bitter and angry. I did not get the life that I wanted. But that was not the end of the story. It was just the beginning of my book. Like Job, most of us began our journey with God with failure, and Job failed many times. And that's where I don't want you to be discouraged. It's like, wow, I got a long way to go. Well, maybe you do. I, I don't know. But perhaps you could think about failure this way. You see, failure is part of the process of getting better. Now, parents understand this. Now, if you have children, you totally get this. Like, say, as you train your children to walk. The kid did not fail when he failed as he was learning to walk. He got up. And he tried it again and again and again and again. You see, failure eliminates the things that don't work. And that kid gets smarter and brighter and more intuitive. He figures it out because failure eliminates the things that don't work. And if we fail enough times, we will have trimmed down our efforts to those essential things that permit us to succeed. Would you take a moment to think about your friends? Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a, a parent, a child, a relative, a coworker, church friend, maybe it's a former friend. Have any of them hurt you? If so, are you free from what they did to you to where you can be practically and miserably redemptive toward them? I'm not just asking you an intellectual question. Yeah, I'm not bitter. Will you go and serve them? God did not build us to carry sin. We're awful at it. Whether it's our sin or others, there is only one effective sin bearer. And if someone has sinned against you, the most courageous thing you can do is to cast it on Christ. Ask him to take that sin from you to free you to be Christ toward that person who hurt you. Think about it this way. We offended Christ, but what we did to him did not manage him. He was not controlled by what we did to him. He knows how to handle sin we can't do what he can do. Christ the offended engaged the offenders so that he could transform those offenders. He did this for you. He did this for me. And that is our calling. A willingness to model the gospel this way is Christian maturity. You know your faith is real when. Now, I am not suggesting that the offenders in your life are mature enough for you to engage them. 
This is a wisdom issue. Perhaps some of the people who offended you are too dangerous. And it would be foolish for you to approach them. So understand what I'm saying here. It's not about what you can do, but what you are willing to do to imitate Christ. The test is your desire to be like Christ, whether or not you can act it out, because I know that sin is very messy. And again, it might be dangerous for you to engage those who offended you. God will release you from captivity when you can actively love those who hurt you to whatever extent that you can, to whatever extent it is appropriate. And then then Satan answered the Lord and says, you know, maybe it would be good for you to paraphrase what Satan said uh, in Job chapter 1. Does Rick fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Maybe you can take Job chapter 1 verses 9, 10, and 11 as I just did and insert your name there. Do you love God that way even when things are removed from your life, things that you have cherished? I've titled this, You Know Your Faith is Real When. You're welcome to read this. I would love for you to do it. I have a call to action at the end of it. There are several questions. And if you want to do that deeper dive, please jump over to our coffee shop, lifeovercoffee.com. You can read those CTAs and you can work with it. There's a lot of great questions or several great questions there that will help you to practicalize what I just shared with you. Also, don't forget about our new course, No More Fear, How to Break the Bondage of Being Controlled by the Opinions of Other People. If you struggle with fear of man, then this course is for you. Go over to Life Over Coffee. Check out our courses. We also have our mastermind program. That is much bigger. It takes a couple of years plus to finish it, but you're welcome to learn all things discipleship about biblical counseling by taking our mastermind course or just take this small course no more fear and it will be a huge benefit to you and if you know someone that struggles this way uh, please let them know about no more fear overcoming being managed being controlled by the opinions of other people thank you so much and god bless thanks for joining us Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.